Hello and welcome to Altamar. I'm Muni Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter. And today our topic is Brazil, specifically the troubles and the fate of controversial and embattled President Jair Bolsonaro. On January 1st of this year, President Bolsonaro took the oath of office, and we are about at the six-month mark, and wow, it is a whole new world out there for Brazil, and it's still new president. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by world-renowned Brazilian journalist Patricia Campos Melo, who will help us with some of the analysis of what has happened to him, and we will ask her to do a little forecasting. Muni, remember that Bolsonaro was voted in on this anti-crime, anti-corruption agenda, promising economic growth after years of corruption and stagnation. Now anti-corruption investigators are focusing on allegations against Bolsonaro's own family, and there are large protests against his government by Brazilians suffering from the country's near-permanent economic slowdown. The result is very low approval ratings. In fact, it's the lowest approval ratings ever for a Brazilian president this early on. And on the other hand, you may also have read about the pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations that have taken place where loyal followers took to the streets to try to revive his momentum. You confused? Well, let's figure out what the future holds for Brazil and this outspoken president. But wait, Peter, let's give a little background to set the stage for, for what is looking like a perfect storm for Brazil. So back in November of last year, we discussed the rise of this mid-level former military officer who rose to power after the very decisive victory in October. He broke the long-standing rule of the country's Workers' Party, or PT, and did so as part of a global wave of right-wing populists that rode into power all over the world on anti-everything platforms, anti-immigrant, anti-gay, anti-woman And it was not too distant from Trump, Orban, Erdogan, Duterte, and others that we've mentioned on this show. Uh, so back then, we discussed the contradictions of Bolsonaro's rhetoric with the many pragmatists in his government. That was kind of a sigh of relief for the world, especially among the military, who have turned out to be the moderating force on the president. And that's kind of ironic. Our guest at the time, Tiago de Aragao, explained to us the power of the Brazilian Congress over the executive and how Congress would be a check and possibly a block on Bolsonaro's excesses. Six months later, Mooney, we are witnessing serious, serious bumps in the road for Bolsonaro with many of his promised reforms and reversals of PT policies yet undone. Congressional opposition is slowballing his proposals, in particular, the famous proposal of the much-needed pension reform and scandals in his own family have rocked his platform, specifically after his son Flavio has been linked to shady cash transactions. In a country that's been buffeted by decades of corruption allegations, these findings are a huge blow to Bolsonaro's reputation and maybe even most importantly, a potential landmine in a country that has a strong judicial system. Yeah, he's pretty much out of luck right now. The economy, which has been long-suffering, fails to rebound. Gone are the stock exchange bumps and the dreams that reformist finance minister Paulo Guedes would reactivate the country. And actually, the real is weaker every day. Unemployment, even in Sao Paulo, is close to 14%, so back into pretty serious numbers. And forecasts point to growth of only 1.5%, which is a whole half point lower than what was expected in an already sluggish forecast. And inflation is under control, but the country was only starting to recover, as I mentioned, and it is still at risk. The fiscal deficit resulting from the pension crisis continues to grow. And the top trading partner, of course, Argentina, is still sinking in its own economic troubles. So with Argentine demand slumping from everything from Brazilian cars, steel and manufacturers, the future is kind of tricky right now. Corruption, stagnation, what else can go wrong for this guy? And yet there's more. 
On the political front, his promises to fix the political circus in Brasilia have just simply not materialized. You know, politicians continue to skirt arrest warrants from federal police and avoid investigations. Projects die every day in a chaotic and divided country. Crime continues unabated with grisly homicide rates at about 70,000 a year, especially gang-related violence in Rio de Janeiro, which is Bolsonaro's political base, and he was elected on this big anti-crime push. And so austerity measures like reduced health budgets and education budgets are further fueling this grassroots group made up of younger, angrier generations of students who've taken to the streets with these signs that say, Fora Bolsonaro, out Bolsonaro. It didn't help that in response to all of these student protesters, Bolsonaro ended up calling them idiotas utis or useful idiots. For a guy who was a congressman for decades, Bolsonaro's lack of skill in dealing with Congress and with opposition is just amazing. And I'm just concerned that it could sink these, these reforms, like the pension reform, that is so critical to Brazil's viability. It was within this negative context that his hardcore supporters took to the streets to defend their president. And it is notable that Bolsonaro and his team watched these protests from the sidelines and did not actively endorse them. But there were rallies in several hundred towns in large cities like Rio and Sao Paulo, where people showed up to support their alleged anti-crime and anti-corruption president. So hardcore nationalists flew the flag, but the boost appears short-lived and polls continue to show increasing disapproval. And I guess we should mention his foreign policy and image to add to the injury and his extremist social views have cost him international embarrassment, most recently in his uh, canceled trip to New York, where nobody basically where there was nobody to host him in an event in his honor and uh, also received some pushback from Mayor Bill de Blasio. On foreign policy, it's no surprise that Bolsonaro has had to step back on his criticisms of China. His vice president recently made a cleanup visit to Beijing to soothe over relations. And he's also began to step back of his embrace on Juan Guaido, the interim president of Venezuela, as many in the military have sought a less interventionist path for Brazil. So, Muni, Bolsonaro faces challenging scenarios pretty much everywhere. There's international scorn, fading political capital, a difficult relationship with Congress, increasingly radicalized and entrenched group of supporters, but a sort of seems to be a grassroots student-led opposition movement. So what does the future hold for Jair Bolsonaro? And to discuss that fate, his fate, but also the fate of Brazil, we're joined by Patricia Campos Melo. Patricia is a journalist at large and a senior columnist at Folha de São Paulo, Brazil's largest newspaper. She's been awarded multiple journalism awards and was the Washington correspondent for the Estado de São Paulo newspaper between 2006 and 2010, including during the presidential elections and the war in Afghanistan. In the last three years, she has spent time in Syria, Iraq, Libya, Turkey, Lebanon, and Kenya reporting on refugees and migration. She was the only Brazilian reporter to cover the Ebola epidemic in Sierra Leone in 2014 and 2015. In 2018, she was listed as one of Time Magazine's People of the Year for her commitment to press freedoms. Patricia Campos Melo joins us from Brazil's largest city, Sao Paulo. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Muni. Patricia, Muni and I just described what seems like a perfect storm for Brazil's presidents, and we promised our listeners that you would know what the future looks like. So <laughs> let's, get, let's get down to that important future-oriented question. Will Jair Bolsonaro weather this current storm, or will he face the fate of some of his predecessors of not finishing his term? 
I wish I had that crystal ball. Um, well, I think uh, one of the things that is uh, positive about Brazil in this moment is that we do have uh, strong institutions. Uh, and I don't think it's likely that we would be facing at this point in time any sort of uh, impeachment process or any kind of um, measures to change the way the presidency is being led at this point. Having said that, and, and you just mentioned, yes, we are a very uh, peculiar country. We've had uh, three vice presidents uh, since uh, the end of dictatorship, three vice presidents that ended up uh, being presidents, right? Itamar, Sarney, uh, and Temer. Uh, so there's always this uh, specter of, you know, uh, someone not finishing the, the presidency. However, I do think that, uh, as I was saying, uh, institutions are strong and Congress is uh, dealing, uh, using the legal uh, channels and legislative channels to uh, try to advance some sort of legislative agenda, even though uh, Bolsonaro's uh, government is not, uh, is, doesn't have a legislative majority, so things are not going smoothly. But I think the other powers, uh, the legislative and the judiciary system, they are uh, sort of compensating for that. But let me follow up the question and ask the reverse. Is there a window for him to turn around his flagging popularity? There's a huge expectation about the Social Security, the pension reform. Everybody is saying this is the one thing that has to get uh, has to be done uh, quickly. And people were saying September, August would be a decent uh, deadline. Uh, however, I do think people are uh, putting too many uh, hopes on this uh, reform because we might end up having a pension reform, but not as ambitious as all the economic agents are expecting and actually pressuring uh, for. So I think uh, at this point, there's a big dispute between Congress and Bolsonaro because several of his measures were executive orders. And in Brazil, they have to be approved by Congress in 120 days. Otherwise, they are no longer valid. Uh, so at this point, we have this dispute and there's a huge uh, pressure to uh, approve the pension reform. This is the one thing that's going to define the presidency, I think. Patricia, there have been recent protests, both for and against the government in the past weeks. What is the political significance of these protests against and those for Bolsonaro and the impact of each of them? I think it's a huge significance. The protests, the two protests against the government and more specifically against the education minister uh, were a very powerful measure that even though opposition in Brazil is very weak at this point, we have a popular uh, movement of opposition. And this is in turn actually stimulating the opposition to try to reorganize themselves. Uh, on the other hand, the protests for Bolsonaro, supporting uh, Bolsonaro, uh, they are significant because there's this huge question, okay, if you don't have many people in those uh, pro-Bolsonaro protests, that's going to be the end of him because that's going to show he no longer has uh, popular support. On the other hand, if you have a huge turnout, uh, this would be very uh, complicated, very negative for Congress. The situation was in between those two uh, extremes. There was a decent amount of people in the protests in support of Bolsonaro. 
And that shows that, yes, he's still, even though his popularity ratings are going down, he still uh, does have a decent amount of support among his core supporters. Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't have this uh, total uh, support that he was claiming he had. And therefore, he was entitled to do all these extreme measures he was trying to do. So I think you could do, the protests could be, uh, they have these two uh, important meanings. On the opposition side, that they show that there's a big popular support for opposition. And on the other hand, that Bolsonaro, yes, his popularity has been decreasing, but he still uh, maintains uh, a core, uh, like the support of core supporters. The Brazilian economy is just recovering or starting to recover from a, a pretty severe recession. Could this loss of pop, of political capital, and we have talked about Bolsonaro's recent numbers, uh, hurt the economy overall? Uh, I think the economy is hurting. Uh, we were expecting we would be at this point in some sort of uh, recovery mode, but that's no longer clear. Uh, if you see all the economists at the banks and, and also university, academia, they're all revising downwards the GDP growth estimates for the year under 0.8%, which is very, very weak. If you think that Brazil has been either stagnated or uh, in recession for the last, since 2015 at least, so this is very, very negative. The fact that uh, Bolsonaro is having a big difficulty in gaining support in Congress to get his measures approved, including the pension reform, is of course a very negative aspect of that because it doesn't it doesn't show there's a road ahead you know because he does have a lot of uh, reforms and they are very pro market reforms so market was very optimistic about him when he got elected but now that he doesn't have a minimum number of uh, congressmen supporting uh, his agenda that is really uh, very scary for investors at least Bolsonaro ran on an anti-corruption agenda and now faces corruption allegations against his own son. Can you quickly describe them and tell us how damaging they could be? Yes. Uh, Flavio Bolsonaro is uh, his oldest son. He's a senator now. Uh, all his sons are in politics, even though he has this very anti-politicians uh, speech. They're all politicians. His uh, The eldest son, Flavio, is the one who's facing uh, the corruption accus accusations. Then you have the the one who's responsible for the social media is uh, Carlos. Uh, he's a vereador, I think. How would you translate this? It's like an assembly, uh, like a state. City councilman. City councilman, thank you. Yes, he's a city councilman. And then you have the youngest one, Eduardo, who's a congressman. Uh, the accusations that Flavio Bolsonaro is facing is that he was maintaining so to say, ghost employees, ghost uh, civil servants in his cabinet, uh, that people were actually uh, getting part of their salaries and giving them uh, to Flavio Bolsonaro. That's something that is uh, usually done. It's like a very common type of uh, corruption act that uh, happens uh, in Brazil, that you actually you hire people, you are entitled to a quota of X many servants or uh, employees to your cabinet and then you just get half of their earnings so this is basically but to investigate this they actually are investigating his bank accounts and all his financial statements for the last i think for the last like over 10 years so this is potentially very damaging and wasn't there something linking that corruption with uh militia 
with militia and crime <laughs> groups. And I mean, I just want to, I want our audiences to understand the danger to the president. So, I mean, I would, would you mind just describing a little bit of the broader implications that sort of hit criminal organizations and militia? Sure, sure. Uh, uh, the main person who actually uh, is accused of, you know, diverting part of the, the salaries of the cabinet is uh, Fabricio Queiroz. And he has several links to militia members, militias in, in uh, Rio. They basically, they control big parts of the city. They have in the slums, they control each slums and they uh, act as a parallel state. They collect taxes. They sell uh, protection, security, and several members of the Bolsonaro's cabinets are somehow linked to militia leaders. Either they like the wife and the, the daughter of a militia member, or like Queiroz has several uh, militia members who are friends with him. So we all knew that they had the support of the militias, and that's what uh, guaranteed them big turnout and big numbers of uh, voters turn out in the elections because the militias were always uh, supporting them. But there was, it wasn't clear, like the, the links were so were not so clear before they started investigating this uh, corruption accusation. One of the things that surprised me, Patricia, about this government is that uh, a lot of us who have lived through a the dic times of dictatorship. I'm I'm that old, um, you know. We're worried about the influence of the military, but the military has actually seemed to be a moderating force in Bolsonaro's government. I'm surprised by that. Are you surprised by that? Yes, yes. At this point, we're all like thanking the military in the government and saying it's a very common phrase here. They are the adults in, in the adults in the room. Uh, they are indeed a moderating force. They are very pragmatic. Uh, if you look at Bolsonaro's government, you have some um, distinctive wings on the government or sectors. You have the military and then you have the Olavo de Carvalho. Uh, Olavo de Carvalho is this philosopher slash guru who lives in the U.S., actually in Richmond, Virginia. And he's a conservative, very extremist thinker. And he does control part of the government. He actually he suggests, suggests and actually uh, almost uh, nominates some of the ministers, the education minister, the cities minister, the foreign affairs minister. So you always have this uh, dispute between the military, which are the mo more moderate, and the Olaveches, as they are called, the less pragmatic uh, wing of the government, the more ideological uh, extreme right uh, wing of the government. So in that sense, a lot of people who are very scared that, oh, my God, we're going to have military in power again after we, you know, defeated military dictatorship uh, almost 30 years ago. And now uh, we have them back. But uh, it turns out they're the least of the problems of this government. Many voices, uh, Patricia, are calling for a great pact for Brazil where uh, Bolsonaro can lead a grand agreement with other branches of government and civil society. Uh, but how can this come about if the president has been so critical of the legislative and judicial system? And what would that pact look like? I'm sort of skeptical about that pact because uh, at the same time that he's calling for a national pact to reconcile the legislative branch and uh, judiciary and the executive power, he has all these digital militias attacking, for instance, 
the guy who is the president of uh, our house, so to say, Rodrigo Maia, and all other like concerted uh, digital attacks against the reputation of several politicians. So it seems like he does both things at the same time. On the one hand, he's saying, okay, we need this national pact, we need the reconciliation, we need everybody focused on getting a modernizing uh, reform agenda approved. But on the other hand, he's still inciting his supporters and uh, insufflating them to uh, attack, uh, be it digitally or on the streets, uh, the established uh, powers to be, let's say, like Congress and the judiciary. So I'm not sure how that would work in the end. Everybody's kind of skeptical and very cautious about what exactly would this national pact uh, entail. If we were to try to dissect the public opposition to Bolsonaro, would uh, is it obvious that the Workers' Party is behind it or there's a deeper discontent in civil society that goes beyond the party? I think there's a deeper discontent that goes beyond the party. The party, uh, at this point, we don't have any clear opposition leaders. Uh, opposition is very weak at this point. So I don't think that they were the force behind the protest. Of course, there were representatives of the unions, of PT, of uh, PSOL, which is the other sort of extreme left party. But I don't think we had like regular people on the streets, people worried about, you know, education and extremism or the ideology uh, sort of uh, dominating the whole education agenda. So I don't think, I think the opposition, the opposition parties are still lost after the big defeat they had uh, last year. I don't think they are the organizing force at this point. So you don't think the PT has had a chance to retrench in the past uh, six mm. months? No, not at all. I think they're trying. They're starting. If you think of it, uh, you start to see that they're getting together finally, like uh, some opposition leaders of several parties, the Communist Party, PSOL and PT, and some of the people uh, from uh, the Socialist Party, they're starting now to try to organize. However, PT is a very uh, is a very hard uh, partner in any coalition because uh, the party always wants to be the lead person or be you know the main candidate. So that's why many other attempts to form a big coalition, opposition coalition, or left uh, center left coalition have failed. Patricia, let me move to foreign policy. There seems to be a lot of confusion about Brazil's relationship with China. There seems to be some embarrassing faux pas about human rights issues. There seems to be uh, lots of debate about how close he is to to Trump and other uh, European populist politicians. So how how does Brazil's famously independent foreign policy get its, as we say in America, get its mojo back? <laughs> um well, we have a whole new game uh, at this point. Uh, instead of independent foreign policy, we have uh, U.S. Uh, automatic alignment. Uh, we are automatically aligning ourselves with the United States positions in the world. That's that's happening a lot. Regarding China, uh, but then again, let me just uh, take a step back. We also have competing influences inside the government. So we do have the ideological wing that is the most aligned uh, with the Trump administration. And then you have the pragmatic wing, the military, which are sort of a balancing uh, force or a moderating force there. So, for instance, China. 
China is a big issue. In the beginning and in the electoral campaign, uh, Bolsonaro was very hostile towards China, was saying, oh, China is buying Brazil, we have to restrict uh, Chinese investments. And then it was famous, he visited Taiwan when uh, he was doing the campaign. And this was a huge uh, deal, you know. Uh, the Chinese authorities, ambassadors, they said they uh, sent a letter. So you have all this anti-China uh, rhetoric inside the government, uh, mainly the foreign affairs ministry. But at the same time, you have a more pragmatic stance in the agriculture ministry and the vice president. Vice president Moreau, Hamilton Moreau, he visited China. Uh, he has a much more pragmatic stance. For instance, I remember I interviewed him uh, two months ago and I, uh, I specifically asked him, so do we have any restrictions for uh, Huawei uh, investments? Because I know uh, American officials have been putting pressure on Brazilian officials to restrict uh, Huawei investments uh, in Brazil. And he said, no, we don't. We don't. We're not part of this uh, trade war. This is not a, a spy uh, or surveillance issue. It's a trade war and we're not taking sides. But this is the vice president and the president then says something. So it's very ambiguous, the, the China policy in Brazil at this point. And the whole issue of human rights is going to be intimately linked, I imagine, with the issue of you know guns in Brazil and how do you repress crime. We haven't seen yet clearly what the president, I mean, he was elected on such an anti-crime um, position. You know, we haven't seen yet a real repression of crime. We have some worrying signs. For instance, the anti-crime package that is being, uh, it's in Congress, has not been voted yet, and it's the number one priority of the justice minister, uh, the judge, Sergio Moro. It has a lot of, let's say, Measures, they're very worrying. Okay, if it gets approved, uh, somehow, if you're a policeman, it you may you might not be accused of homicide if you uh, shoot uh, a suspect in many, many, many instances. This basically opens or uh, allows policemen to be more aggressive and kill more people, which is a big problem in Brazil, the violence of policemen against uh, suspects. So this is one of the things that might start or might, uh, you know, increase the impunity in Brazil. We have not, as you said, we have not yet seen uh, what, like an increase uh, or a decrease in crime because of his uh, sort of uh, linha dura or tough uh, measures on crime. And we have not yet seen the effects of the gun liberalization yet. But some of the measures that are being approved, they're being actually, uh, they're in, in Congress, they have not been approved yet, could be very, very uh, damaging. Not sure if it was clear. <laughs> Patricia Campos Melo, thank you very much for joining us on Altamar today. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Peter, Patricia mentioned that Brazil has pretty strong institutions that might help the country withstand this kind of crisis coming from everywhere. Are you as optimistic as she was? Because I think that things are getting really complicated. There's a very recent precedent of impeachment and impeachment proceedings. And if Jair Bolsonaro continues along this path, he might face the same fate. I think that the institutions in Brazil are not as strong as she says, with the exception of the judicial institutions that are incredibly strong. 
But, you know, I, I still believe that Jair Bolsonaro was elected only six months ago. He is certainly not doing by any standards a good job. He has fallen incredibly deep in the polls. I mean, it's this is a guy who came in as a big kingmaker and now is really can't, has trouble moving anybody. But I think it's way too early to uh, to ring the, the, be- the bells of his death. I think... It's going to be a while before Congress has the guts to uh, impeach Bolsonaro, if ever. And I think the Brazilian executive still has an ab- the ability to deal with, if not buy off, certain congressional votes in order to stave off any large-scale opposition. So I would expect that Bolsonaro will be there for a while. I don't know about this great pact for Brazil. I'm pretty pessimistic about him being able to execute that with no political capital. The pact for Brazil is simply a, a figment of his imagination, which is a fiction because it will never happen. He has burned so many bridges uh, during the election and in these first six months of office that there is no great pact. I mean, we had the Mexico pact for Mexico, which was possible because at that time, Peña Nieto was a new president who was trying to show respect for other parties and on very specific reforms. Nothing even remotely similar is possible in Brazil. So take note, listeners, we actually agree on something. Thank you for joining us on Altamar. See you next time.